Uh, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalm, chapter 103. And uh, I, I said on Sunday that we were going to start a new series tonight called The Word Versus the World. And I had my dates mixed up, so I apologize for that. But we're still getting the Word of God. We're going to start that series next week. So if you were here specifically for that reason, I apologize. You're just going to have to come back next week as we begin that series. But we're kind of in a series break. And so tonight we're just going to be talking about a, a simple, practical message on the God of second chances. The God of second chances. I mean, that alone should, should cause a stir in our hearts to say, wow, we have a God of second chances. Now, some of you would say second chances. I'm like on the 50th chance. I had chance after chance after chance. And the reason why I say the God of second chances is because the first chance we didn't know about. The Bible calls it ignorant. We were ignorant about the things of God. But then we came to know God, and now we know better. So although we'll say 50th chance, 90th chance, we're still on our second chance. We're in a process on this second chance. And in this process that we go through that God gives us this second chance of life, second chance of opportunity, second chance to make things right, we're going to understand that life is made up of being in this season of second chances with God. But even more than that, that we're also, because we want to follow God and be more like Him, we want to be that kind of person for other people. But isn't it difficult to give second chances to people who just don't deserve second chances? It's like, let's just say you're a police officer and you keep pulling the same guy over and over, over and over again. It's like, how many chances do you give them? Like, same person over and over. And he keeps saying, oh, sorry, sorry, I forgot. Sorry, sorry, my foot was heavy on the gas pedal. I'm sorry, sorry, my brakes went out. Sorry. And they give you all the excuses. As a, as a person in authority, as an officer of the law, you, you need to uphold the law. So how long can you warn this person? After a while, you're thinking, buddy, I got, I, this is like the 50th time I'm doing this. And you keep giving me excuse after excuse. After a while, you lose grace toward this person. If you're not a police officer you're, and you're a parent, you understand this too. You tell them over and over, over and over, over and over. After a while, you lose grace. You, you, you're done giving them chance after chance after chance. Some of us, we have a long fuse. Some of us have a very short fuse. Some of us, no more fuse. It just blows up. It's just click, boom. That's it. But did you know that God is not like us? That God's fuse is endless. The Bible says he is patient towards us, not wanting anyone to perish, but that everyone come to repentance. In Psalm 103, I'm going to read from verses 10 to 12. This is in the New King James Version. The Bible says this, that he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. See, because of God's love for us, he is able to give us second chances when we have a setback, when there's a sin 
that we commit or failure or when we make mistakes. And because of that, he desires us to do the same thing as well. When, when he separates the, as far as the east is from the west, our transgressions. That word transgression is like a, it's a rebellious spirit against God. Rebellion. You, you, you step on or to march on or you step forward on. You're trespassing, as it were, against the things of God. And we find power through understanding God giving us second chances. So we're going to look at some practical life-changing reasons why God gives us second chances. And this will help us in doing the same for others. Here's the first thing. God is a forward thinker. God is a forward thinker. Now, it's, it's forward to us, but it's not forward to him because he's not in time. He's eternal. So to say that God is a forward thinker is only for us to understand because he's eternal and we're here in time. So to us, God is a forward thinker because we can only go forward. Do you catch what I'm saying? In time, we can only go forward. We can never go back. Oh, how we wish we could go back. For some of us, we want to uh, correct certain things. We want to make a better decision. Not in marriage, because I love Heidi. That's the best decision, aside from Jesus Christ, that I would never want to go back on. But some of you have made mistakes. We all had. And we would want to take that back and want to do things different. But God is such a forward thinker that he wants us to think in that way too. To think forward. When you're a forward thinker, the things that happen today is not as bad as if you dwelt on today. If, you, if you're able to forward think and, and think ahead, then whatever is in the past stays there. We can learn from it. We can grab wisdom from it. But if we're not a forward thinker, then all we'll do from the past is stay there. And it'll actually trap us and pull us down and lock us down. In other words, we're now connected to our past and we can go no further because we keep bringing up the past. You might be thinking, well, I want to I move forward. I'm a forward thinker, but the person I'm living with is not. They keep bringing up the past over and over, over and over. They keep bringing up why you did this. How come you said that? Why you did this? I'm thinking, I'm done with that already. I want to move forward, but what do you do when people around you don't want to move forward? Well, the Bible says that when you live in such a way that's pleasing to God, you silence those who come against you. Like, after a while, it doesn't bother you because you know who you're becoming and you know who you are in Christ because God is a forward thinker. When God, when God gives us, as the Bible says, that hopeful future, then it should cause us to be more at peace with whatever happens today, that the problems of today should never be our problems of tomorrow. And the only way our problems of today are not the problems of tomorrow is if we utilize that situation with purpose. That it's not about just the problem itself, that, oh, here's a problem, I don't know what to do, but what is the purpose of your existence? Why are you here? Whatever problem is there and your purpose, maybe God is doing something in that so that he can teach us something that we would never learn if this problem never came up. 
because God has a final purpose for us. He doesn't dwell on our past. He always looks ahead with us. The only time God looks at the so-called past is to bring us back to his glory, is to bring us back to his faithfulness. He said that with the people of Egypt. We're, we're going through our devotions. We're in the, New, the Old Testament as well as New Testament. But in the Old Testament, God would say, don't forget, I brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. So God doesn't use it and say, hey, remember you were a slave? Yeah, you were bad back then. You didn't listen to me. He said, no, I brought you out of that. So God will use the past just to catapult us to the future. Jesus said it with the, with the story of Jonah. He said, only an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but no sign shall be given except the sign of Jonah who spent three days and nights in the belly of a fish. He'll use that to remind us that God is a God of second chances. The, the whole story of Jonah is a story of second chances. Remember when Peter denied Jesus Christ? He, he, he said, I don't, I don't know who you're talking about. That's, I don't know him. No, I'm not a Galilean. No, that's not, that's not me. I wasn't with Jesus. And then the, the rooster crowed. Jesus said that was going to happen. But when Jesus encountered Peter after he rose from the grave and they sat on the beach, Jesus never brought up the past. He didn't say to Peter, hey, Peter, what I tell you, huh? he's going to deny me three times. I told you you're going to deny me. Am I right? Am I right, Peter? Was, it, was I not right? I told you this was going to happen. I told you, Peter. Look, I even wrote it down. I put it up on the wall. I knew you were going to do this, Peter. You know what Jesus did? He didn't even focus on that. He focused on Peter's future. Read in the book of John, chapter 21. He said to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Tend my lambs. Go, go feed my people. And, and, and Peter caught it. And because Peter understood his pain and his past. But Jesus also understood the problems and the purpose. And so the problem never became the problem for Jesus. The purpose always outweighs the problem. Because the problem can also have its purpose. But if we only focus on the problem at hand, then we, we don't become forward thinkers like God. We stay in the past and we stay on the problem itself and we try to figure things out. It's as simple as Jesus asking us that question, do you love me? Yes, Lord, we love you. You know we do. And it's almost like Jesus knows there's going to be a process, that he's going to take us from one place to the next, from one season to the next and we don't have to get it all together right now, today. And he's okay with that. Because we're not perfect when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. We're being perfected. And we'll never be perfect until we get to heaven. My, uh, my grandchildren have three uh, boys. Six years old, four years old, and two years old. So they're kind of a uh, little age span in there. So when we play sports, it's a little challenging for me because I'm a little competitive. So here you have the six-year-old, and, and we have this small little ball. It's just a, like a toy ball, and so we're playing kickball with it. And I'm like, we can't play with that. So we went to the store, and I got the regular kickball, you know, the, the red one? The one, yeah. So 
I got that, and we made bases. The first time we made bases, I just had scraps of wood. I just put wood in the grass. They said, that's not bases, that's wood, Papa. I said, no, these are bases. This is old school. This is, this is, we, this is how you do it. You find free bases. But then the next time we played, after we got the real kickball, I put the real bases out. Slippers. That is the real bases. So my, my four-year-old landed. He's like, Papa, you don't use our slippers. I'm like, that's okay. We're okay. We can use slippers. This is bases. And then the other one said, don't use my Crocs. I'm like, what? These are expensive bases. So I'm going to use this. So we, we put the bases. And so first one up, you know, you go youngest to oldest. So I, I, I rolled it to the youngest. And then he kicked it and foul ball. So I said, foul ball. He's like, what? I said, foul ball. And I, and I said, if it goes outside of the baseline, that's foul ball. He's four years old looking at me like, I don't even know what you just said. So I said, okay, okay, just, just kick the ball. So they kick it again and foul ball again. And he's like, Papa, how come we can't go? I said, because it's a foul ball if, you, if, you're, if you're kicking. So I started explaining to them. So now it's not becoming fun anymore. And then finally they kick it. I said, okay, now you got to run, run. And they're looking at me like, where? I said, okay, you run. This is first base, second base, third base, and home plate. And then they start grumbling. No, this is first. I said, no, this is home. They said, no, but this is the first one. I said, no, yeah, yeah, technically it's the first one. You're on the first one, but it's not called first. It's called home because you're coming home. Are your house? No. <laughs> this is called home plate. That's first base. And so my six-year-old, Jaden, he plays t-ball, so he understands a little bit better. So I'm, tr- I'm trying to teach them just the basics. So finally the second one goes up, and this is now Jaden's turn. And so Jaden, he kicks it, and he can kick. So... Landon is on base. Jaden kicks it. And Landon is clapping. Yay! Jaden says, run! And so he's like, what? I said, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta run. Now I gotta explain that the first guy on first base can't let the second guy pass him. And so now they're running together. And I'm like, you can't touch the base first, Jaden. You got to let him. So I'm getting frustrated at this point. As you can tell right now, I'm, I'm sweaty. So after a while, it wasn't becoming fun. It, was, it just wasn't fun at all. I wanted to bean them as they ran by. But, you know, I, I love Jesus, so I, I, di- I didn't do that. I even caught the ball and I'm like, you out. <laughs> no chances with Papa. So <laughs> while we're... I gave them chance a little bit. While we're going through this whole process, it, it's almost like God had to slow me down and be the umpire. And he said, what is the point of what you're doing right now? And he said, the point, the point is they had to learn how to play kickball because when they go to school, they better learn, they better know how to play because kids ain't nice on the playground. They, they're not going to be nice, so... These guys, they got to know how to play kickball, baby bounce, slow and smooth over the plate. I got to teach them all these things. And they didn't understand it, but this is what God told me. He said, what, what, is your purpose for them to have fun right now? Or is your purpose for them to win like the championship kickball tournament? I'm like, what? no, I, I, I want them to learn. He said, no, but your process right now should be about the fun of it. And he said this, otherwise, they will never want to play with you and they will never learn. And I thought, okay, so I guess we just let them go and then 
just play? And he said, yeah. Just let them play. And it's kind of like us. Sometimes we, we want everyone to be perfect and do things just right in our walk with the Lord. You need to be like this. You need to be better at that. You need to get your act together. You need to, and yeah, we can. But isn't it so good that God can even teach us, even in simple things like that, that they're six years old, four years old, two years old. They're not going to learn any, everything right now. That you've got to be a forward thinker to teach them whatever they can capture right now. See, God being a God of second chances, he can be like that because he understands we can only catch so much right now. Some of us can catch things quick. Some of us have to process things. Some of us have to go through life experience. Some of us learn the hard way. Some of us can learn from others' mistakes. Some of us can learn by just reading the Bible and applying it right away. Well, what actually happens is because we're all at different, I guess we could call it maturity levels or, or growth phases or, or whatever you want to call it. Because we're all different, we expect people to be just like us. And in doing so, we actually cause them to fail in our eyes. That we set them up to be failures in our eyes. But God says, I don't see you that way. Because I'm a God of second chances. That I see you in in the forward thinking process that this is who you're becoming. So you know how the Bible says God never gives us more than we could handle? That's what he's saying. I'm going to give you enough for today. Give us today our daily bread. Just enough for today. Some of us, we pile it on. We say, God, I want want all. I want everything one time. And and God is saying, but you can only take bite-sized chunks at a time. And although the heart is there, we hunger and thirst for God. The process of being with a God of second chances Knowing that it's his grace over us that helps us through this process only helps us to be like that with other people, especially people in our own families. We have such high expectations sometimes. And when those expectations aren't met, we let them know. Foul ball. You're running wrong. Too fast. Too slow. It's almost like God is saying, just let me be the umpire right now. Let me just, let me just call the shots right now. Let me be the one who helps you through the process of being a person of second chances because I gave you a second chance at the same time. God sees the big picture. One of our favorite scriptures that we like to quote is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I, actually this version says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you. This is the New King James Version. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God has thoughts towards us because he's a forward thinker. He doesn't dwell on our past, but he always brings us to our future with him because of his love for us. If you're an artist, and and what I mean by that is not just someone who paints. Maybe you're a musician. Maybe you're someone who loves to sing. Maybe you love to dance, or maybe you love working with crafts, or you're a carpenter. You just love artistry. You, You do things like that. You create things. Every artist has the end in mind. 
or has a, has a vision, has the bigger picture of what is actually taking place at that moment. Every artist does that. And God is the master artist. And the reason why we have that in us is because God created us in his image. He's always thinking forward and he helps us think farther than what is happening today. God is that kind of thinker. He's the creator and thinks further than our sins, our mistakes, our immaturities, or even our flaws. Because God is more concerned. Here's the second thing if you want to write something down. God is more focused on your purpose. God is more focused on your purpose than the problem. God will always go back to purpose. That's why he said, I I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. He'll always go back to purpose. For this reason, this is why I came. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his good works. Jesus always went back to purpose, not the problem. When When you're focusing on the purpose, the problem slowly takes care of itself because you're focusing on the purpose. See, purpose outweighs problems, and problems seem too big for purpose. It'll always outweigh problems. Go back to purpose. If you're struggling in your marriage, whatever it is that's a struggle, go back to your purpose as a husband and as a wife, biblically. You'll find the problem slowly slowly starts to diminish. As a husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. When you do that, you'll find no wife not able to submit to her husband. As the Bible says for the wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. I I have yet to see a wife who is not submissive to a husband who dies for her. When you die for your wife, it's easy to submit. You know why? Because you're a dead man walking. In other words, it's Christ living through you. So she can submit. Because she's actually submitting to the Lord. But it's difficult because we focus on the problem more than the purpose. And God says, no, I I have a purpose that will outweigh the problem. In the book of Acts, and and we're reading in in the book of Acts right now in our devotions. But if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 9. And I'll read. This is Paul when he got converted. In fact, he was Saul at that time. And he was a a Pharisee who was... uh, persecuting Christians, and that was, his, that was his goal, that was his purpose. His purpose was to, was to come against the people of God, and, uh, or the Jesus followers, as they called them. And when, when Saul is, is breathing murderous threats against the people who follow Jesus, it is said in Acts chapter 9, then Saul in verse 1, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were, on, who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now this is Jesus speaking. Then he said, who are you, Lord? Then he said, then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And that was something uh, that they would use to motivate the animals to move into action. It was like a, a prodding stick uh, for the animals. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and, and neither ate or drank. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And listen to the Lord's response. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who were amazed, then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not the, he who destroyed those who called on his name, on this name in Jerusalem, and, and has come here? For that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, we'll, we'll, we'll read that and it'll be a, a three-minute conversion, a three-minute change and a, a quick from one thing to the next, from breathing murderous insults and, and murderous accusations and, and, and persecuting the church to a man who is preaching about Jesus Christ so many can find hope. It's a three-minute span. And, and we'll look at that and we'll say, wow, how quickly does that happen? But you got to understand, everyone's conversion is different. But one thing is common that we're all going to find in our salvation with the Lord, and it's this. God will never bring up your past. But he will usher you into a greater future. If ever your past is brought up with your sin, your mistakes, it's not the Lord. We got to remember Satan can never see the future. But he does know our past. So he can only use our past for power. That's it. But the future is so much greater than our past because God takes us there. He's the one ushering us into the future. See, character is built 
in the second chance. That's where character is. Character is built in the second chance. Oh, the first opportunity, yeah, we'll fail, we'll have some mistakes, but character is built in the second chance. When darkness shatters your hopes and dreams, never forget that that's why God redeems. He's the redeemer. And that second chance opportunity, that's where character is built. How often I would tell Heidi when we were first coming to church and I understood this change that God wanted for my life, I would say, Heidi, I'm going to change. I'm going to be different. This is going to be different. You know, God spoke to me this today. And in church, it was so good. And I would say that over and over, over and over. But there was no change. It was an outward expression of what I wanted to become. And I would say that over and over. I'm going to change. I'm going to change. Oh, I'm going to be so good. I'm going to be a better dad, better husband. And I would continue to say that. But all I was doing was setting myself up for failure. I was giving her higher expectations. And then it's like the Lord says, why do you keep saying that? Why are you keep saying you're going to change, you're going to change? You're only setting yourself up. Don't say it, do it. You don't need to say it. Because when you say it, when you say you're going to change, there's a 100% expectation. And when you don't change, there goes that 100%. But you may have changed. You may have changed 2%. But the expectation was 100%. But what will happen next time is you say, no, 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 this time, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm going to change, I'm going to change. And then the next time you come up and you don't meet that expectation, then it drops again. You may have changed 1%, but you didn't meet that expectation. And then that expectation probably wasn't 100% because, you know, you, you let them down last time. So now this expectation was maybe 90%. And then after a while, 50%. And then, no, I'm going to change. And then it's like, yeah, well whatever. If you change, you change. You know, don't change for me. Change for you. Then after a while, there's just no expectation. And then words are empty. And it's like God saying, you got you to gotta focus on your purpose because that's what I focus on. Not the problem itself, your purpose, who you are in Christ and, and who you're becoming in Christ. See, when God gives a second chance, don't give another second to chances. Do something with it. Do something with this second chance. And we can, because here's the last thing, number three, that God wants us to live under grace, not guilt. Did you know that guilt causes you more pain than God's grace? But we might think, well, I don't know, because uh, what, if, what, if, what if I give the person grace and they just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over? I'm the one that, that's getting hurt. That may be true, but that person is hurting themselves more than you. No, they're not. They're not. They're, they're, they look happy. They look good. Yeah, they may look like that on the outside, but it won't be too long till the rust starts to erode from the inside out. So you focus on the grace of God. You focus on living under God's grace and not guilt. We used to do that in junior high and high school, put guilt trips on people. I remember there was this one night when Heidi was, we were dating in high school, and I wanted to go with my friends cruising, right? I'm going to go cruise with my friends. And she said, oh, I want you to stay with me. I said, no, I'm going to cruise with my friends. She goes, but I really want you to stay with me. I was like, ah, oh. I'm going to tell them you said no. <laughs> She's like, what? I said, yeah, I'm going to tell my friends, you said I cannot go. He said, why are you going to do that for? I said, because I want to go. You don't want me to go. So, and we get into big fights. Now, if my friends want to do something, and I say, Heidi, my friends want to go someplace. And she says, but we had this plan. And if I tell her, oh, I'm going to tell my friends, you said no. She said, go. 
Like, tell them. There's no guilt trips anymore. You see, guilt actually hinders us from living under the God of second chances. And it actually hinders other people from building a good relationship with us as well as with God because we keep putting guilt on their lives. Guilt never makes a relationship thrive. That's why God doesn't put guilt trips on us. Grace. Now, grace carries us much further than guilt could ever try. It's the grace of God. In fact, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not works, lest any man should boast. In other words, it's the grace of God that carries us, not our own merit, not our own so-called behavior. We don't have enough power to carry us forward. We don't, we don't have what it takes to get us to the future. But God does. And it's under his grace. He wants to take us there. And when God's second chance meets opportunity, then your ability to succeed will only depend on your involvement. When God's second chance is given to you and you meet that opportunity, then your ability to succeed will depend only on your involvement. It's like God is saying, here's a second chance. It's going to meet with this opportunity. Now it's, you make it successful by your involvement. A relationship is going bad and maybe, maybe you're, you're trying to reconcile and God says, okay, here's the second chance. It's your moment. This is the opportunity that you've been waiting for, the second chance. You got to get involved on in this. You cannot be like how you were before. You got to be different. Here's your second chance. And I'm, I'm bringing this opportunity to you. And when God gives you a second chance and you make the necessary changes in them, you mature and you become more like how Christ is making us to be. But you got to be involved in it. Live in God's grace. That's his power. Live in his grace. It is by grace that we are saved, not of our works, lest any man should boast. Sometimes we boast on the things we do, and it's not even the grace of God. We boast on the things we do. And God says, when you boast on the things you do, there's no grace there. However, when you're under my grace, not guilt, under my grace, you won't even use my grace as a license to sin. You're going to use my grace for the power of moving forward into the future that I see for you. Then our marriages improve, our families improve, relationships improve, our relationship with God improves, all because of His grace. All because God is a God of second chances. Aren't you thankful for that? You can close your Bibles and put away your notes. We're going to pray together. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for being the God of second chances. Thank you for helping us in, in the situations we're in. That yes, we're going to have problems in this world, but you focus on purpose more than problems. And purpose will always outweigh problems when problems seem too big for purpose. 
And the only reason for that is because we're created with a purpose. And you purposed us into existence. And you see a greater future for all of us. May we never forget that we should be included when there is a second chance. We got to be involved in it. We, we play a part in this too when you give us a second chance, Lord. So in our marriages, Lord, when that second chance opportunity comes up, we got to be involved. We got to press in. We got to make the necessary adjustments so that we don't fall back into the old patterns. So Lord, we ask right now that if there are any opportunities that are coming our way that, that is a second chance, we pray that you give us the wisdom, give us the strength, give us your spirit so that we'll be involved in it, that we won't back down, but that we will partner with you in the thoughts that you think towards us. You're the creator. And although life is a process, you always see the greater good in the end rather than what's happening today. Let us just take those bite-sized chunks of wisdom so that we can apply it today. We're not going to learn the whole game right now, but in time we'll get better. So Lord, we thank you for your spirit. Give us that same spirit so we can at the same time, give other people second chances. Not be a welcome mat where people walk all over us, but walk with the grace of God rather than guilt. So I thank you, Lord, for allowing us the privilege of gathering together. We go out here in your name. You're the one who breaks all these chains. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said amen. Can we thank our wonderful God of second chances?